how important is it to Jesus that we pray correctly? How much time did Jesus spend teaching us about prayer and about the things that we need to know to be better communicators with God the Father? He spent an, awfully lot of, uh, an awful lot of time doing those things. We see Jesus and we think about his life and we think about his ministry and we know that he was constantly busy. He was busy as a healer. He was busy as a preacher. But more importantly, sometimes we miss the fact that Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. And oftentimes he would stop and he would spend time instructing his disciples because his disciples were going to carry on this great ministry when he was gone. And he wanted them to know the basic fundamentals about how to do this. And there was nothing more fundamental to him than teaching those who followed him how to pray. We can complicate prayer sometimes, can't we? We can make prayer a complicated thing. We can, we can make it a vain repetition. We can make it a ritual. We can make it all kind of different things. But Jesus gives us great instruction uh, on how to pray and how our prayers can be most effective. Jesus has a great desire for our life. He has a great desire for each and every one of us who call him Lord and Savior. He has a great desire for each one of us who are following him. And his great desire is for you and I to have intimate fellowship with God the Father. And when we have that intimate fellowship with God the Father, for us to grow in our desire to bring God glory every day. When we grow in intimate fellowship with God, when we grow in our relationship with God the Father, we automatically become in tune with the fact that He wants us to grow in our desire. Our heart should long at that point to bring Him glory every day. Jesus uh, sounds this out in another great prayer that He prayed in John 17, verses 1 through 3, the beginning of the high priestly prayer. As He's getting ready, as He's about to enter, uh, uh, He knows that in just a few hours He'll be arrested, and, and, and just soon after that He'll be crucified. And He says these words to God the Father. He says, uh, in verse number 1, it says, When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says there in one of his final prayers, he says, God, I have lived my, uh, this time that you've given me here on this earth. I have tried my best to live in such a way as to honor and glorify you. And now I'm asking you to glorify me so that those who you have given me will see your glory and you will be honored by it. And, and, and Father, that's how that I, I have wanted to live. And Lord, now through my life, teach them to live this way too. Jesus knew that, that the most efficient way for us to grow in intimate fellowship and to bring glory to God is through the discipline of our daily prayer life. How we pray and how we spend time with Him every day. And Jesus not only taught this, but He modeled it consistently all throughout the Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17 
Paul, the Apostle Paul makes this, uh, makes this bold proclamation when he says to the believers that he's writing to, he says that we should pray without ceasing. Paul is only echoing the words that Jesus had spoken, the same encouragement that Jesus had given in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 when he said, men ought always to pray and not faint. Now, I want you to think about how often do you pray with your eyes wide open? How often do you pray with your eyes wide open? I pray a lot with my eyes wide open. Uh, Tammy was talking a little while ago when she was introducing the Annie Armstrong offering, and she was talking about going down the road and talking to the Lord. I drive down the road a lot and talk to the Lord. Now, I'm driving with my eyes wide open, and I'm praying with my eyes wide open. I, I'm, but that's not the only time that this happens. There are times in my life when people are with me, when people are sitting and they're talking to me, and they are emptying their hearts out to me, and they're telling me the things that are going on in their life, and they're telling me the struggles and the hurts and the heartaches that they have, and my ears are open and I'm listening to them, but with my eyes wide open hearing them, I'm praying at the same time and saying, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need to know what to say back to these, these individuals. Lord, I need to know what to speak back into the life of this person. Lord, I've never been where this person is sitting. Lord, I don't understand what it is that they may be going through. Father, will you please give me words of encouragement and words of help that I can help them with. With my eyes wide open looking at them, I'm praying at the same time and asking God for his help. Jesus, God the Son in human flesh, he knew that the source of his strength for the ministry of preaching and healing came from his constant, determined, and disciplined time alone with God the Father. Now the Jews had three times every day that they prayed. They were ritualistic in how they prayed. They prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, and they prayed in the evening. They would, they would take time out at each one of these apportioned times, and they would pray. Jesus prayed in such a way, but he prayed in a disciplined way and not in such a ritualistic way. Jesus spent so much time in prayer in the mornings and, 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 and in the evenings at different times that there was never a time in his life, uh, on, in his earthly ministry, when he couldn't stop, as Paul said, and pray without ceasing for someone in need. Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher who ever lived, who in our scripture this morning that we'll read in a few minutes, is in the middle, arguably, of the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Jesus prayed much more often than he preached. And he prayed much more, he spent much more time in prayer than he preached. Now this sermon that Jesus preaches here that we call the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon lasted for hours. These people sat and they listened to Jesus preach for hours. But I can promise you that he had spent more time in prayer than he spent preaching the sermon because he knew that prayer was his great source of strength from heaven. I was thinking about this as I was writing and as I was looking at, at these and I was thinking about how much time Jesus spent in prayer 
And, and I believe that part of it may have been a homesickness for heaven. A homesickness that he, he had been throughout eternity. He had been one with the Father. He had been there in heaven with him. And now he had been sent. He's, he's here on earth to come and to walk and to live and to die for our sins. And, and maybe sometimes there was that homesickness for heaven. And he just wanted to talk to the, to the Father back home. Some of you have probably been in that situation where you went off to basic training or you went away to college for that first time. You moved away from mom and dad or you maybe were deployed somewhere on the other side of the world and, and in your thoughts and in your mind, everything you were thinking about was right back home. Maybe Jesus at some of these points and times he had been there in eternity with the Father, and maybe just sometimes there was a homesickness just to speak to the Father, just to talk to Him. I can promise you that the more you pray, the more time that you spend in prayer, the more time that you spend in talking to the Father, when you're away from talking to Him, there'll be a longing in your heart to go back more often and speak to Him. There'll be a longing in your heart to spend more time with Him. There'll be a longing in your heart there the way that Jesus modeled it for us here. So we look at, we're going to look at these first few verses here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 5. And Jesus teaches us prayer is not a complicated matter. And it's not meant to be on display for others, but it's meant to be a matter of intimacy between those of us who are praying and God the Father. Look here. At verses at chapter six, beginning in verse number five. And Jesus said these words, he said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus gives a great description here before He teaches us how to pray. He gives a great description that the people here can understand and identify with when he says, here is, the, here is the way not to pray. I'm going to give you the bad before I give you the good. You know who the worst person to call on to pray? If you're in a crowd of people, let me tell you who's the worst, but you have to pick somebody to pray. The worst person you can call on to pray is the preacher. Some of you know what I'm saying? If you're in a group full of preachers, and you call on a preacher to preach, uh, you call on a preacher to pray, more times than not, that preacher is going to preach before he's finished praying. The worst person you can call on to, pre to pray is the preacher, especially if you're about to have a meal. If you call on the preacher to pray over the meal, you better, be, you better hope that you have everything good and warm before he, pre before he prays. Because sometimes... You're sitting there, and you just want him to pray over this chicken. And the more he prays, you think the more that he's trying to bring this chicken back to life. 
a, a sign of a good preacher is if he can pray a short prayer. The worst person to call on sometimes to pray is the preacher. And here sometimes Jesus is saying, there are these religious people among you. There are these Pharisees among you. And they know the times of day when it's time to pray. And they want to be seen in public. And they want to be heard in public. They want everybody to hear their prayer. They're not so concerned if God hears their prayer, but they want everyone who's around them to hear their prayer. These Pharisees and these, these people uh, that Jesus is talking about, they were so smart and they were, they were so crafty at this, they knew where the crowded street corners were going to be and they knew where the people were going to be conducting business and they would make like they were going their way to the temple and all, suddenly they might have to stop and they would spend just enough time there until it was time for the noon prayers. And guess what they would do? They would begin to pray. And they begin to pray loudly. And they begin to pray long prayers. And they begin to pray uh, great, uh, they just long and, 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 and on and on and on. And Jesus is saying to these people who are there listening to him, who were weary of seeing these things, he's saying, please, when you pray, don't be like these people. Dwight L. Moody, talking about these verses, says this. He says, I think we may learn a lesson here. Jesus' prayers were short when offered in public. When he was alone with God, that was a different thing. And he could spend the whole night in communion with his Father. My experience is that those who pray most in their closets generally make short prayers in public. Long prayers are often not prayers at all, and they weary the people. Moody had it right. He said, what I've noticed about men is the longer that they spend in time in prayer alone with God in secret, alone in God in private, when they're called on to pray in public, their prayers are direct and their prayers are succinct and their prayers are powerful and they don't have to use a lot of vain repetition. I've been called on to pray in public before when I got caught off guard with it, and it was, it was, it was a frightening experience for a young Christian in front of a whole church to be called on to pray and, and not realizing that somebody was about to call on you to pray. I can remember one Sunday morning, Bree and I hadn't been married very long, and we were visiting another church, and we were at, and, and for some reason or another, Bree was late. I can't believe it. But she put us behind. And so we get to this church, and, and we walk, we're walking up, we're, we, we park the car, and I'm fussing at her because she's late, and she's fussing at me because I'm fussing at her. And, and so we're fussing, and we're walking up the steps of the church, and I'm still fussing, and we're still fussing. And we get to the doors of the church, to so those doors that swing open and you have to walk. And so we're fussing right up until the moment that we push those doors open. And then we, right, as soon as those doors open, those beautiful Baptist smiles come on. And we're walking down the aisle and we're just so nice and so happy. And we walk into the pew and we, we stand there in the pew. And right as my feet stop. The man who was standing at the front said, Brother Michael, would you pray for us this morning? 
And oh my goodness, I, not, I hadn't spent any time in prayer. I'd spent time fussing at Bree all the way to church and arguing with her. And now all of a sudden I've got to act righteous and pious and holy in front of all these people. And I probably prayed for 15 minutes. I probably asked for forgiveness for everything that had ever happened in my life right there. But you know what? Some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard were prayed right here in this sanctuary on a Wednesday evening. Some of the most beautiful prayers that I've ever heard were prayed sitting right here about where Whitney and Tyler are sitting this morning. On Wednesday evenings, we would finish with our devotion. We would finish with our prayer needs. And I would ask Mr. Norman Jones, Mr. Norman, would you close us in prayer? And Mr. Norman Jones, in about two minutes, would pray not only one of the most beautiful prayers that you would ever hear, but one of the most powerful prayers that you would ever hear. And as I think about back on it now, I realize this. Those short, beautiful, powerful prayers were backed up by a constant prayer life outside of church. They were backed up by someone who spent their life in prayer with the Lord himself. Think about the beautiful short prayers that we see in the Bible, these powerful prayers that we see. We see the short prayer of the publican was simply this, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Syrophoenician woman's prayer was even shorter. She said, Lord, help me. She was specific, and she got what she wanted. The thief on the cross prayed this simple prayer, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His life is about to end, and he doesn't spend a lot of time beating around the bush he gets straight to the point and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Simon Peter, after he steps out and walks on the water, as he begins to sink, he reaches up his hand and he simply says these three words, Lord, save me. There are times when there's no time for eloquence. There's no time for poetry. There are times when we just need to go straight to God and get straight to the point. Get to the point. I, I get frustrated sometimes. Somebody will try to tell me something in about, it takes them 15 minutes to tell me something that they could have told me in about two minutes. I'll be telling Bree something sometimes, and she'll put her hand up and stop, and she'll say, spit it out, get to the point. Sometimes I think that God may be looking at us and, and, and hearing us, and he's saying, I'm here, just get to the point. And the scriptures point out clearly here, Jesus points out clearly that we need to spend a lot of time alone with God in prayer so that our urgent requests and public prayers are specific and to the point. And Jesus gives us a model here in verses 9 through 15. Jesus says this, beginning in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In those verses, Jesus gives his disciples and he gives us today a model to follow in prayer. And this model is a model that's based on how we should ask. How long did it take you in life before you learned how to ask for things? Didn't take you long, did it? Those of you with children and grandchildren, how long does it take them before they learn how to ask for things? And then once they learn how to ask, do they ever stop asking? Some of you have children that are probably in their 50s and 60s that are still asking for things today. They learned well. Jesus here in this model prayer, it's a prayer, it's a specific prayer for the needs that we have in our lives. It's a prayer of petition. It's a prayer that teaches us how to bring things to God and ask for them correctly. It's significant that the model prayer for Christians is it's not praise, it's not thanksgiving, it's not meditation or contemplation, but it's how to ask. It's how to petition God. Jesus is teaching us how to ask God the Father for what we need. The prayer of petition teaches us two objectives here the first objective is is that when we pray this way we are asking God to act so as to achieve his purpose in the world we're saying to God God you have a purpose and you have a plan and you have some you have something that's going on and God first of all let me say that that is more important than what I need it's more important than what I want your will and your way and what you desire is the most important thing. And God, first of all, let me say to you that it's what's most important to me. And then secondly, when we pray this way, then we're asking God to come back and meet our physical and spiritual needs. We ask for God's will on earth first, and then we ask for our needs and wants second. And when we pray this way, what it says is, is that we have a very high view of God the Father. That we look at Him in the proper esteem and we look at Him with the right honor. We know when we pray this way, we know that God is in control. And we know that God is able to answer. And we know that God is good and that He wants to answer our prayers. Listen to the words and how Jesus begins this model prayer here. He begins by these, with these two words by saying, our Father. Think about that. He doesn't say, my Father. It would have been easy for him to exclusively have said here, my Father, who art in heaven. But Jesus says, our Father. He says, I have come that I, and I am going to share my Father with you. I have come to give my life for you so that you can have a relationship with the Father that I have. And when he calls him Father, what is a father in a home? A father should be the authority in the home. A father should be the, care, uh, the, the caring person in a home. He should have a warm intimacy for those who are in his home. And by declaring here immediately our father, Jesus is showing that God the Father is those th are all those things. And then he lets us know where he is. He says our father in heaven. It reminds us that God is in heaven and that he completely rules over everything in every situation. And from here, from this introduction here, 
Jesus petitions the Father six times. He begins with three petitions, asking for three things that are you petitions. Why O U? He said, God, these are the things that belong to you, and this is how I'm going to begin this prayer. And these three things establish that God's will and God's kingdom are our highest priority. He says these words, hallowed be your name, or your name be honored as most holy. He says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what these are, these are all pleas to God. These are all petitions to God. When we're saying that this is your earth and we want your kingdom to come and we want your will to be done here, what we're saying, God, is we want you to hurry and come back and fix this situation of this evil present age. When we pray these words here, when we pray this first part of this model prayer, what we're saying, God, is we live in a present evil age and what we desire more than anything is to see you return and to see your kingdom established forever and for all the things that we know that you want to do and you long to do to bring this back to order to come. This prayer is a prayer for the final victory, the longing for us that we should have of God over the devil, over sin, and over death that, that controls this world. And it's also a prayer that these early Christians prayed and that we should pray this way also for God to rule our life right here and now, even in the midst of this present evil age. Now, how does these words that Jesus asked us, asked these men and women to pray 2,000 years ago, how's that, how does that apply to me today? Well, I'm much closer to his return than they were 2,000 years ago. I live in a much more corrupt and evil world than what they could ever imagine 2,000 years ago. And when I pray these words and when I pray this prayer, I should be praying it with an urgency that they couldn't even understand. It should be an urgent prayer for me today for God to return and to establish his kingdom. So Jesus begins with three petitions that are called the you petitions, and then he gets to how we should pray for us. He says these words, Give us tomorrow. Are you listening? Give us next week. Give us this day. Give us this day. You know who Jesus is talking to here? He's talking to a group of Jewish people who all of their lives have heard the story of the Hebrew children in the wilderness and they're wondering and they're hunger and they're worrying for how they're going to be fed and God providing early in the morning everything that they would need for that day through manna that would fall from the sky. And Jesus is saying to them, you've heard this story, you've heard it taught, you've heard it preached before, and I'm telling you that your life should be no different than those Hebrew children who were in the wilderness. You should pray that each and every day God will meet your needs for that day. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for our physical needs. 
There's nothing for pr- wrong with praying for the things that we have to have. But Jesus' point is this. There is faith in knowing that when we can't see it, how it's going to happen tomorrow, praying with the faith that God is going to take care of this day. And this day alone belongs to God. Now, what would happen if everything that I'm ever going to need for the rest of my life, what would happen if this afternoon God just suddenly gave me everything that I'm going to have to have for the rest of my life, God gave it all to me this afternoon? Every, 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 every dime of money I'm ever going to need, every meal I'm ever going to need, every home repair, every car, everything that I'm ever going to need, God, God puts it in, in my hands this afternoon. My faith. My faith. It would affect my faith. Because I would be thinking, what else do I need? I've got everything I'm ever going to need until I leave this life God's already provided it for me, so I don't have anything to pray for. I don't have anything to ask for. I don't have anything to need for or want for. God's already given it to me. And guess what else? Everybody I know would come out of the woodwork and want a little bit of what I have. I noticed a couple of weeks ago I read the article about where the person who won the $1.5 billion lottery, they're doing, they've hired an attorney to try to stay anonymous. Because they've got everything they'll need for the next four or five lifetimes, and all their relatives will want everything they have, so they they don't want everybody coming to get it. But God, Jesus is saying here, if I gave you your lifetime supply this afternoon, it would affect your faith. It would affect your prayers, and it would affect your dependency on me says give us this day and then he says forgive us our debts as we forgive those also who are indebted to us there is a relationship between our willingness to forgive others and our personal forgiveness by the father you want to know a really good sign of a born again person a really good way to know if a person is truly born again when that person is wronged and that person is hurt and that person is, is, is damaged, how do they forgive the person who did it to them? That's a really good way to know about our relationship with the Lord. It's when we are willing to forgive. I have been given much more forgiveness than I ever will deserve. And I will never be able to give as much forgiveness as God gave me. But I should give as much as I can. I should give as much as I possibly can through my relationship with the Lord. And then he ends this way when he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The commentator Phillips said this when he interpreted this verse. He said that Jesus was actually saying that that we should pray to God, keep us clear of temptation and save us from the evil that is around us. We have to acknowledge when we pray that piece of that prayer that we live in an evil world, that we acknowledge that we live in a sinful world, 
and we live in a world where it's easy for us to be led astray and to fall into temptation, and it's easy for us to get off the path and wind up in a situation or a place where we shouldn't be. Jesus is saying here, there's one who can protect you. They're your greatest protection. There's one who can hold you and comfort you and keep you from these things. He's God the Father. And if you pray earnestly and sincerely to him and ask him to keep you clear of temptation and to save you from evil, then he will. He'll lead you into places where you ought to go. So how hard... How hard is prayer? How hard is it to pray? It's one of the things that I hear more often than any as a minister is this. I just don't know how to pray. I I don't really know how to pray. Jesus' disciples, Jesus gives this this same prayer at another point in Luke 11 and chapter 1. The reading is just a little bit different, but it's the same prayer Jesus' disciples came to him, and they, and they see Jesus' great prayer life, and they say, Jesus, we, we don't know how to pray the way that you do. We're, we've got a lot to do, and we've got a lot of things to do in ministry, and we see your prayer life, and we see how it affects what you do, and Lord, we need you to teach us how to pray. They didn't ask him to, to teach them how to preach, to teach them how to preach. They didn't ask him to teach them how to put together an evangelism strategy, because they knew that without a prayer life and without a strong, powerful prayer life, none of those things were going to happen anyway. So Jesus took the moment and he taught them how to pray. Jesus takes the time here on the sermon at the Sermon on the Mount to teach these people how to pray. And I want to close in a, in a much different way than what I normally do this morning, I want to ask Darren to come on and be prepared. I want us to stand this morning. And if you have a copy of your scripture, I want you to open your copy of your scripture here. If you have it on your phone, however you have it, this is what I want us to do. I want us to see how easy it is for us to pray. And I want to say this to you, looking you square in the eye, nothing is going to change in your life until you pray. Nothing is going to change in your family's life until you pray. Nothing is going to change in the life of our church until you pray. Nothing is going to change in our community until you pray. Nothing is going to change in our nation until you pray. And it's not complicated. Jesus would Jesus didn't make it complicated. He gave us a model. And this morning, I want us to, as we're all going to repeat the same prayer together, we're going to have to read it off the screen here. But I want us to pray this prayer together. And at the end of this prayer, Darren is going to begin a time of invitation. And after we've prayed this prayer corporately, I want you to unashamedly come to this altar and pray about your needs for your life and your family and your home and your work and, your, and whatever it is for our nation, for our city, for our church, whatever it is. 
our greatest problem here, I'm saying this, our greatest problem here is dry eyes and empty altars. And we've got to change. Read these words with me. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, thy, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Darren?